Our beloved chiropractic profession faces challenges like never before. These challenges come from not only outside the profession, but also from within. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Braille, and I've had the opportunity to see this profession as a practitioner, a teacher, an administrator, and a politician. In my over 40 years in chiropractic, I've just about seen it all. Join me on Cairo Rants for an honest and no-holds-barred discussion about all aspects of chiropractic practice, politics, education, and philosophy. We'll talk about subjects that most only want to whisper about, and we'll interview the leaders in our profession to get some straight-up answers. If you're looking for a politically correct chiropractic discussion, this is not the place. Welcome to Cairo Rants. Hi, and welcome to Cairo Rants. This is Dr. Bobby Braille, and today I have a very special guest speaker, a dear friend of mine who I've known for many years and shared many a meal with. In fact, we usually order the same thing for some strange reason. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he did his undergraduate work at Rutgers University, University, graduated in 1971, graduate of Parma College of Chiropractic in 1976. He is currently the Dean of Clinical Sciences at Sherman College of Chiropractic. He is an instructor for many years for the ICPA, that's the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association, a former member of Board of Regents of Life Chiropractic College West, and also a former uh, instructor, department head, division chair at Life University, as well as being a high-volume practitioner for many years. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Armand Rossi. Welcome, Armand. Well, thank you, Bobby. It's great to be here on the on the podcast and to share some information. Well, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with us and our listeners here. Um, let's start off with a little bit of your history. Uh, how did you get into chiropractic? Uh, actually, I got into chiropractic when I was five years old as a child. Um, I had allergies, asthma, all kinds of stuff like that. But the thing that got me into it was after a fall, I started having vision problems with my eyes crossed and things were happening that way and I didn't want to eat and I was seeing double vision. Uh, I was taken to a medical doctor um, by my parents and the medical doctor wanted to do the surgery, cut the muscles from the eyes, check for a brain tumor and all this kind of stuff. But before they even thought about that, my mother had an uncle of hers um, who was a, a chiropractor. He, he actually went to school with Clay Thompson at Palmer. And um, she brought me up to him and took a look at me and started checking me and said I had a bad subluxation in the upper cervical area and started working with that. And not only did I get better from that incident pretty quickly, within the next two or three weeks, but he convinced my mother to understand to let me come in regularly because I did have nerve interference, I did have a problem, and that should be corrected, even though the symptoms went away right away. Well, over the next year, my asthma and allergies all went away as well. And so ever since that time, I had been a chiropractic patient and decided to go into chiropractic um, after my second year at, at Rutgers. Okay. Now, tell everyone here, because a lot of people know you as an instructor for pediatrics, an expert in that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. 
but you also in your early uh, uh, career were, were ran a very high volume practice. You were seeing a lot of people, and that's kind of a little bit of how you got into pediatrics. Tell us a little bit about your early practice sure. days and how you got into teaching pediatrics. Well, sure, sure. What happened was um, I always wanted to have a, a family practice. And then I, I started, I met this one guy who, his name was Al Reach. He's out in Arizona, uh, and he learned a lot from Sigafoos. And um, I never realized what kind of volume you could have. I went out and followed him for a day in the office. I loved what he was doing. Everything was great, right on, spot on and everything. And he was seeing over 300 patients a day. And so I decided that's what I wanted to learn. I actually sold my practice in Georgia and moved to Arizona and started learning from him. He was kind of my mentor on the practical application of it. Through him, I was also getting the philosophy uh, from him and through Sigurdfuss. And I already um, had uh, philosophy taught to me by Reggie Gold before I even went out there. Um, so I just knew that, that um, people alive with nervous interference would be better off without interference, and I wanted to see families. So I started seeing the families. We did three days a week. And my days are Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, by the way. And I was seeing over 3.30 a day uh, <laughs> eventually with that. And so I wound up seeing like a thousand a week, three days a week on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Not a bad and practice. So what, no, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. You know, I had, had, people used to ask me, well, what do you do on your days off? I said, I recover. <laughs> you know, I recover. That's what it was. So um, after a divorce, I moved back to Atlanta, and I was meeting up and talking to Larry Webster a lot, who I was back in, at Life College, and he was there as the downtown clinic director. And we would talk, and he was telling me about this program, the ICTA's certification program, and he asked me if I want, I'd like to be on it. And I said to him, Larry, wait a minute. I said, I'm not a pediatric expert. I said, why would you want me on that? He said, how many kids did you see? So we kind of broke it down and realized I was seeing over 200 children visits a week. Okay. And he said, you understand that you're seeing more kids than the experts are. I said, well, I never thought about that. He said, I want you to kind of put that down, synthesize it your knowledge of what you know with that and what, you, what you've done practically into more written stuff. He said, no, I want you to be on the program. So that's how I started the ICPA program. Um, and from Larry to Geniome and um, everything in between. And, and uh, I, I love it. I still do it. And I'm still there and uh, loving every second of it. Now, for those who don't, uh, who listening, who maybe don't have a lot of children in their offices or don't, uh, or haven't been trained in that, some schools don't even go in that direction. Uh, quickly explain for the chiropractor and the students, what are the big advantages to kids being under chiropractic and how old should they be before they even get started? Okay, well, let's put it this way. First of all, um, I adjusted, or checked and then adjusted my two kids with the umbilical cord still attached. That's how soon we do it. I don't want them uh, living and breathing with, with interference. With them. If, a if a child's alive with interference, they've got to be better off with that interference. So we would check them right away. 
when you have a practice with kids, it's so much fun. Kids respond so well. They respond so easily. They love it. They have fun with it. Uh, and it's just a blast to, to, to work with the kids. And you see things, their response is so dramatic sometimes, even in their symptomatology. I've had, I had a kid who was dying of kidney failure. After one adjustment, he was, the kidneys were starting to function. I've had kids who were in a couple in a coma that I adjusted that came out of the coma in my hands afterwards. I mean, these are the dramatic things. But the really neat thing is when the parent comes to you and says, you know what, little Johnny didn't have an ear infection or didn't have a cold this winter, and this is the first time winter we're going through it with chiropractic care. The kids are healthier. They stay healthier. They adapt better to their environment, which means they wind up doing better in school, better things like this. And in the athletics, which the kids love, they, they can function better, too. It's just a simple thing of just removing interference. Let's spend a second or two on that, because right now, obviously, we're in the middle of this uh, COVID crisis. And uh, I noticed there were a lot of reports and government agencies and things coming down on chiropractors for making claims about taking care of patients who are infected or to prevent them from being infected. Can you clear up a little bit? I know chiropractors don't claim to treat COVID or any virus for that matter, but we have an effect on the immune system. Can you explain that a little bit for the listeners? Sure. Um, The the simple fact of the matter is, is that a person who doesn't have interference, their neuroimmunology functions better. Okay. So the immune system functions at a higher level. Now, we're not claiming to cure COVID. We're not even claiming to pump up their immune system. We just know that if there's no interference, that all the systems of the body work better, including the immune system. So that's why we think it's imperative that the kids get checked. You know, And also, to make sure everybody's clear on this, if they don't need it, they don't have to they don't be getting adjusted. We don't just adjust for the sake of adjusting. If there's interference there, then we do the correction. But that's as simple as it could be. I know there are chiropractors, and I know you have experience with Palmer College, Life College, and Sherman College, which are all supposed to be more on the subluxation end of the spectrum. There are colleges out there that are not even close to that. In fact, some of them shun the word, don't allow it. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you speak to those chiropractors, if you even do? But what do you say to the criticisms they have that there's no science behind taking care of children, there's no science behind subluxation? How do you answer those, in my opinion, lies? Uh, well, um, it's, it's very simple. Do your research. What, you, what the people are doing is a guilty thing that some people do. They only look at the research that backs up what they feel. Okay? Lots of times... There are people who, in, in chiropractic history, wanted to relegate chiropractic to a pain specialty, okay, and to become a doctor of, of uh, pain management and things like this. Let me give you a good, good example. Um, uh, someone, who, I can't remember who it was, if it was Jeannie Ohm or somebody like that, got a tour of the facilities out in Los Angeles at that, their college there. And they follow more of that pain management guideline. And they were saying there that uh, we train our students to be doctors with 
spinal manipulation as one of their therapies. That's not the same as training a chiropractor to locate and correct verbal subluxation and interference. Okay, because that's our primary directive. Um, why would you give up a profession that is incredible and unlimited in the fact that we correct interference, which helps the body do things that it couldn't do before? And, okay, it also it not only corrects these types of things, it's uh, unique to our profession. Why would you give that up to be a third-class therapist? You know, manipulation as one of your therapies. Yeah, now, Sid Williams used to have a saying. He said, uh, narrow focus means broad appeal. Broad focus means narrow appeal. Um, and that's so true in chiropractic. Sticking with subluxation allows you to take care of the entire population. And I, I always had that's a trouble right. understanding why people would want to narrow that down and say, well, I only specialize in people with a certain injury, and I'm not sure how you treat the injury anyway. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's crazy, you know. Um, the... The thing to to remember is that if you if you keep it simple, what the problem is, and let's go back to the reality of it, you got people who are uh, chiropractoids who want recognition by the medical profession. They think that's the big deal. Well, why would you want recognition from a dying paradigm? Because that's what the medical paradigm. Look at people right now, even with the COVID thing. They're, they're all asking questions. They're all looking for other, other answers other than the typical medical answer because they can't do anything about the COVID by treating it. So it's a dying paradigm, but that's what people want, want to do. It has to do with the money, I think. It has to do with prestige in there. But they're selling out to, go, to jump on board a sinking ship. You know, I think as we get into the future, uh, I know insurances, we, you and I both practiced during what was called the Mercedes 80s, where right. insurances could be billed and they would pay 80% of whatever the bill was for whatever was done by a chiropractor. So the phrase, work smarter, not harder, which basically meant do more procedures and charge more money. Now we're in a, a system where most of the big practices are cash because insurance pays a limited or none you know, for uh, most of the services right. or co-payments and deductibles are so high, people never reach their deductibles in the chiropractic care. Uh, so the paradigm right. is starting to change, and I see more chiropractors gravitating towards taking care of a volume of people. Uh, for those who are not used to that, don't know it, haven't seen it, and you said you were seeing over 300 people a, a day in your office uh, and the question that comes up in, in many chiropractors who, who are not exposed to it is, how's that possible? Is that quality care? Talk a little bit about that. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll talk definitely about it. First of all, people always ask me how much time do you spend with each patient. Well, you can't break it down that simple. You spend as much time as necessary. And how much time does it take for you to adjust your spouse? versus how much time would it take for you to adjust an 80-year-old new patient. Of course, it's going to be different. But, but once you start to educate people as to what you're really doing and what the benefit is, you know, I'm, I'm, I can talk up a storm, but I'm not a counselor. I'm here to correct the subluxation and leave it go at that. So then it becomes a smooth type of thing. Here's the thing to understand. People think that that's insane. 
I had people who moved across town, and I sent them to another chiropractor, a good chiropractor, um, who was seeing about 30, 40 patients a day across town. They came back to me and said, if I come in like twice a week or once a week, can I come back here? I said, sure, you're always welcome here. What's the problem? Was there a problem there? And they said, no, the chiropractor was a good guy. He seemed okay. But I always felt like I was being rushed there. Over here, I feel like I'm comfortable. I take as much time as necessary, and that's it, okay? So what you got to look at is how much time are you spending with the patients? Are you, and I, would, I use this analogy, if you saw 60 people in a day, and most people can, can visualize that, that they could see 60 people in a day, and you spent one unnecessary minute with each patient, how much time have you wasted? That's a full hour. You wasted an hour. How many more people could you see in that hour? See, you multiply that by two, two or three times, and you're getting into really a lot of wasted time. So you have to be specific, educate people to understand what they're there for, and work in a flow with it, that, that it works nice and easily. I don't, and here's the other thing, Bobby. You all know what a PVA is, patient visit average, okay? Um, talk about some figures. Jim Parker used to say you needed a PVA of 27 to be successful. Each patient needs to come in 27 times. I think the national average right now is 13, okay? My PVA never went below 100. 40 years in practice, it never went below 100, which meant people kept coming back and doing it as a lifetime thing. Do you really think that I'm smart enough to flim-flam people into coming back with less than exemplary care? People are not that stupid. If they feel like they're getting shortchanged with care, they'll leave. They're not going to stay that long. But So the, so the, the whole thing, I've also told young students, I've probably lost more patients by being too slow than by being too fast <laughs> in the, over in the career, you know? So... But um, that's what I tell people who think who poo poo higher volume. It's, it's a matter of how you do it. It's being present, each individual, present time consciousness with each one. I never take outside calls or anything else. When I'm with the patient, I'm with them 100% of the time. And I know, that takes, and stuff later. I know that takes yeah, a lot of focus and a lot of pre-work. Um, let's change yeah. gears for a second and talk a little bit about chiropractic education. You've been involved with it uh, both on an in-school level and a postgraduate level. As far as the schools go, what do you see as the challenge? It almost as if we have schools teaching two different professions right now, but what do you see as the long-term challenges in chiropractic education? I think the challenge is keeping the focus where it should be. Okay, um, I, I think that's an important thing, um, and I'm going to say something that may be controversial to some people. I think where a lot of the schools start losing that focus is when they go, start going in different directions. They start a, a bachelor's program, a master's program, and this type of thing, and go, doing like that, and they start to lose their focus in the chiropractic. That's what I'm I'm seeing. And it, it all has to do with, with this prestige thing, going back to that and being accepted, this type of thing like this. 
I think we need to focus on what we need to focus. I think we need to make sure the students get it. By the way, let me tell you something that I think is pretty interesting. Um, at Sherman, everyone who comes to work at Sherman, now this is everyone, from staff person, groundskeepers, faculty, chiropractors, administrators, everyone who comes to Sherman who has not graduated from Sherman, it's mandatory that they sit through first quarter philosophy class when they first come there. So this was the funny thing. When Sherman hired me, and they also hired Chris Kent at the same time, we're both Palmer graduates. So guess what? First quarter, we had to sit through first quarter philosophy <laughs> there. You know, and, and uh, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny, but we had, we had a ball with it. We, we enjoyed it. Bill, De Bill Deccan, who teaches philosophy, came back in the back of the room and looked at us and said, I don't want to hear anything from this corner of the room. You know? <laughs> but uh, but we, we had fun. But that, that's a good thing. We, we got people coming in who are, who are recruiters, who are groundskeepers. And they, they understand the philosophy. That's, that should be a primary thing that's, that's done with, within the schools. You know, and yet, yet there, there are certain schools that don't even want to touch the word philosophy at all with that. And I'm sure there are a lot of schools where it is not even a requirement and a large portion of the people who work there or even teach there aren't, have never experienced chiropractic for themselves, never even gotten a chiropractic adjustment. That's correct. That's correct. Which is tragic. I mean, I, I couldn't foresee having somebody work in my office who didn't want to get chiropractic care and yet talk other people talk to other people about chiropractic? It just doesn't make sense to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, when when I have my office, if I needed to get somebody from the staff, the first place I would look is into my practice. Did I have someone in my practice who would who could fill that role? Who would like that? Um, if if I hired someone who wasn't in the practice, their first requirement was come to a patient talk. Okay. Second is get gives us an hour or two so you can come and follow me in the office and see what I do. And then if, if those two things excite you, then we'll go on from there as far as the hiring process. <laughs> but that has to be first. Yeah, on so. back to the chiropractic education things, I know the cost of chiropractic education continues to rise and as there's been a lot of discussion about it's it's just becoming very expensive to go through chiropractic school compared to when you and I went to school, certainly. But even in relationship to the cost of the education versus how many visits it would take in a chiropractic office to pay for that education, the ratio is different. Mm -hmm. um, what's your thoughts yeah. on that? I, I think um, it is high. Absolutely it's high, but I think it is still doable. If you understand how to do things right when you open practice, that's one of the reasons. Now, I don't want to make this sound like I'm, I'm just pushing Sherman, but one of the things I have there now is, the, is what's called the G10 program. It's a business program that goes every quarter that you have a class. And it's um, brought in by Dean DePice and TLC. And what it is, is G10 stands for to pay off your student loans in 10 years after graduation. And they had it systematized and talked about how to do it and talk about eliminating some of the overhead that you first start off with and keeping your overhead lower. And it's a business program that's helping 
because we want to help students not only understand chiropractic and be proficient as chiropractors, we want them to be good as business people too, to make it all work so they're happy and successful in the whole thing. That's another brand new, uh, fairly new program for us with that. that yeah. I, I think, think it's a great I idea. Mean, I, I think, look, look you, got, you and me, some of the students don't quite see it yet because they're not out in the field, but like you and me, I would have loved to have something like that when I went through school. I would have eliminated so many mistakes I made my early years. <laughs> I understand that fully. One of my yeah. concerns in chiropractic education, because uh, we now see a couple of schools popping up within university systems, um, I know they got the one in Florida and there's a few others popping up here and there. One of my fears is that a major university system that's uh, pretty much paid for by tax dollars opens up a program of chiropractic not under control of chiropractors or principal chiropractors and then offers that degree uh, at a re greatly reduced price because it's through the state system or the, you know, the government system of that region. So that tuition mm -hmm. is dramatically lower than going to a traditional chiropractic college, and the students, not knowing the difference, will say, "Well, hey, it's a whole lot less. It's a whole lot cheaper to go to this state-run school, and it's part of a big university system, and come out with a chiropractic education that doesn't resemble chiropractic at all." Uh, your I thoughts on that? So, uh, my thoughts is it's horrible. That, that, that's why we need to educate because. They're going to pop up. Even even if they don't become successful, they'll pop up here and there. We've already had a couple that were unsuccessful, and then they pop up again other places. And it, basically what happens is they're, they're trying to do programs called chiropractic medicine, which is the biggest oxymoron in the world. <laughs> and and what they're doing with that is they're trying to, oh, we got to get us together. You know, I have no problems collaborating with people, but not at the expense of principles, not at the expense of, of, of losing our identity in there. So um, I think that's an important thing. I think people need to understand that. If they go into that type of a program, what are they going to do when they come out? What is it going to be like? Are they going to be able to be successful? Are they going to be able to... To make it, are they going to be able to give true chiropractic or, you know, is it just a nice job for them? Um, education is the key. Education, pre-chiropractic education, I believe is the key with this as well. Understanding what it is, what, what's their why? What do they want to do? You know, understand that first. Well, yeah. But, you know, I appreciate your comments. Uh, do you have any, uh, as we're getting towards the end here, do you have any closing advice, remarks, comments, or rants for the listeners here today? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was I spoke with a group of us where we have um, a, a group of us who are called the chiropractic elders. You may have heard of us doing this. We've been doing some things. Uh, Jay Kamarik, myself, Ken Harris, Bob DeBonis, and Steve Shargell. All of us have been in practice for over 45 years. And uh, we, we did some talking at, at Mile High and, we, and out in Denver, went to that place. We've done some stuff online and things like this. Um, 
And when we're at Mile High, we open up the floor for questions. And someone said, how do you keep your focus for so long being in practice? And I, my answer was very simple, very plain, but it became a hit with the audience. <laughs> Don't hang out with losers. <laughs> Don't hang out with losers. Okay? Hang out with people who inspire you and bring you up. Don't commiserate with people who are losing, losing it. You know, because that's what happens when you wind up hanging out with them. You wind up commiserating with them instead of you bringing them up, which doesn't work. You just need to hang out with inspiring people and stay doing that. Go to DE. Go to New Beginnings. Go to places like Mile High, places where it's positive and uplifting, and keep going back. This is my, my saying. People say, well, why do you keep going back? Because don't you hear the same thing? No, you don't. Because you're listening to it from a different level. Life is like a spiral, not like a circle. When you come around to the same point, you're at a different level. You're listening with different ears. That's why you keep going back to places like that. Well, I want to thank you very much uh, for participating here and for sharing your wisdom, knowledge of uh, chiropractic as one of the chiropractic elders, I would imagine. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> I wish you well in everything that you're doing. I know you're making a big impact on the students at Sherman and on all the chiropractors that you're teaching. So thank you for your participation in this podcast, and thank you for your great and ongoing contribution to the chiropractic profession. Thank you, Bobby, and thank you for yours, too. You've done so much over your lifetime with that, and I always appreciate it. I appreciate that. Thank you, and thank you all for listening to uh, Cairo Rants. Thank you for listening to Cairo Rants. Subscribe for free and listen to insightful, truthful, and hard-hitting discussions with some of the biggest names in chiropractic. Cairo Rants is sponsored in part by Now You Know Online and in-office educational services. Learn how to expand your educational outreach to your patients and your community at www.nowyouknow.net. The opinions of Cairo Rants are exclusively those of Dr. Braille and do not reflect the opinions of any associations, groups, institutions, or sponsors mentioned in these podcasts. This has been Cairo Rants.